podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are recapping a much closer than anticipated game for the Kansas Jayhawks against the Nevada Wolfpack. Um, I, I got to tell you, I absolutely hate 9.30 p.m. Central games. And to, to help join me in my ire for the time slot is my deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising, Kyle Davis. Kyle, how are you doing today? Uh, like you, I'm still tired, That's, but but otherwise good. Yeah, that kind of throws a, whole, a cramp in the whole weekend. Like, I, you know, I'm one of those people I don't mind staying up for late games, but normally I'll turn a game on as I'm, like, laying in bed and I'll listen to it slash watch it and not really pay attention if it's, you know, get, if it gets out of hand or if it's a game I just don't really care about. Can't do that with a KU game. Actually have to pay attention to be able to report on what's going on. And, um, you know, it doesn't help when yeah. the stuff on the field isn't really that entertaining either. Well, and, and apparently my two sons didn't get the memo that I was up until one o'clock dealing with that KU game and, and chose not to sleep in. So yeah, it was also not. a, it was an early Sunday morning too. Um, so yes, you're right. And then I was also, as we were wrapping up there, I of course had an eye on the Colorado, Colorado state game as well. And, you know, after like a big game, no matter what, like, even if you're there or not, there's always like a decompression time. It's right, not like exactly. I'm just going to fall asleep right as it, it hits zeros. And so you're up for a little bit later anyway. And yeah, it's just, uh, you know, uh, oh, well, at least the, um, I got a, a short nap in after the chiefs game yesterday, which I was hoping, you know, that, that also was more stressful than it needed to be. But um, next two weeks, it's confirmed. Perfect on a Saturday. Great, great timing for some football. Yeah. I got to admit, I like two thirty football. I know that there's some people that are very unhappy with it, but I think it hits that sweet spot, right? Where you have enough time in the morning that you can actually tailgate for a decent amount of time before the game starts. But it's not late enough in the afternoon that you're like trying to drive home in the dark or trying to deal with having to put kids to bed or all of that stuff. It's not too late. So I can get in, I can get out and I can still have a, a, a nice evening where I can either go out with the wife or I can, you know, watch another game or, decompress at that point and still get to bed at a decent hour. Yes, I realize I am sounding very old like that, but unfortunately that's kind of the, 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 the joys of having older kids. So, but yes, um, I mean this game, I'm just, you know, it was, it was a big talking point before that this was like the first time that KU had played in the Pacific time zone since like 2002. Um, let me tell you, I, I hope they go another 21 years before having to play that late in the Pacific time zone again so yeah well and it was also it was a mixture of things because i think part of it is and this is where we got the the whole you know they they keep saying they try to approach every game as it's it's zero zero in the win-loss column that sort of thing but like it it is very hard when you look at okay i'm we're going out there to play a team who has the longest losing streak in the country who is really struggling it's it's one thing if you're going out on the West Coast and you have a late night game and you're playing USC or UCLA or one of like Washington, like that. Obviously, you're going to get up for that. Now, there's going to be challenges with your, you know, body clock and all that being. It's going to feel like you know that game when they wrapped up felt like it was you know midnight to them. But I also think it's it's tough when you are. It's your first road trip. It's a long road trip. 
you have the the time difference, the late start, and you're playing a team that it's no matter the coaches can do all they want to try and get ready. It's tough for 18 to 22 year olds to, you know, fully take a team seriously that has lost 12 straight games and just, you know, gotten absolutely pummeled by its first two opponents. So I think all of that kind of played a factor in that it was both the situation around the, the timing and the environment, but also who they were playing. Well, I mean, you also look at, like, there was a ton of stuff that went into this game, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about most of it, or at least where where it makes sense to, but, you know, they had, they were missing two starter, or not, not starters, but they were missing two key defensive guys early in the game because of those targeting calls. You got Gage Keys got injured during this game. You had, you know, Jalen Daniels kind of got, uh, he, he had, I'd say, he had a fantastic first drive, but after that, stuff kind of just seemed to get off kilter a little bit for whatever reason. The offensive line struggled a little bit here and there, just a, a you know, a tiny chip here, an unfortunate penalty there just really kind of put them on their heels. And from what I understand, Kansas had some offensive skill position players that were sick or injured or something. Don't have a lot of details about that, but from what I understand, there was a lot of pregame discussion about who was going to be available for how long. And I mean, you know, there, there was big stretches where Daniel Hyshaw and, and uh, Dylan McDuffie were in w- instead of Devin Neal in spots where the game was still in doubt, and I would have thought they would have put Devin Neal in. So there's there was a lot of stuff going into that game, and you add in the fact that, like, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a really bad team. You expect to be able to just go in and do whatever it is you want to do. You're on the West Coast. You're, you're away from home for the first time in the season. There's just a ton of stuff that all came together that made it a very difficult game for Kansas to approach, I think, in a way that wasn't going to, you know, make them look bad. And and let's also not forget about the fact that there was no way to really look good in this game. Like, if they won by 60 points, I think someone would have said, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, cool. But it's still Nevada. You should do that. Like, you are either going to come out neutral in this game or you are going to come out looking bad in this game. And I think that that kind of got to the players a little bit. And, and I don't know that I can blame them. No, and I think, so to your earlier points, I think, you know, I saw that, um, you know, Michael Swain at, at 247 Sports also had, like, Hayden Hatcher was one of those that was banged up. He was only supposed to be for emergency use. That's why he was only out there at the very end of the game. Um, so, so I think there was some of that. I also, you know, I wouldn't be, I don't think anyone's going to admit this, but I think if you are Andy Kotelnicki or you are Lance Leipold, I think you probably try and, vanilla it up a bit and see how much you can get away with without showing BYU too much or putting in too many added wrinkles. Cause you don't think you're going to need it. Um, and so, you know, and uh, even though like, yes, Daniels was still very efficient in this game. Uh, and you know, it, his problem was holding onto the ball too long, especially in the first half, but I could see it be a mixture of things. I think there was some, I think there were some guys who are, Again, every team's banged up right now. I think this was a game where you thought, okay, maybe we can get away with them not even seeing the field and they can just get a week off, almost treat it like a bye week and and get them healthy. You know, the play calling, maybe they think, hey, we don't have to pull out all the stops in this one. Whatever it is, it you know, it didn't add up. But I also think and I'm actually I'm I'm planning to write about this, so I'm not gonna give away my whole my whole basically outline, because uh, go to Blue Wings Rising. It should be out early in the week. But it does feel like this is actually in a weird way 
an affirmative game for how far Kansas has come? Because doesn't Nevada feel like every single Kansas team from 2010 to 2019? Oh yeah, for like sure. this is a this is a team who is is struggling terribly. They can't get anything going, and if they're going to be in it, it, everything has to go right. Like think about some of those KU TCU games in like the David Beatty era, where you know like TCU cops it up three times. You get some lucky breaks. Maybe there's you know a big play that breaks open, but in the end TCU just does too much and they win. Like some of those Texas games. Now we got Texas a couple times, but there's. TCU is the one that felt like every single year, you you know, KU would get them within seven points and it would go. But, like, you never really – for me watching this game, I was always confident that Kansas was just going to be the better team and win. I knew it was ugly, and I knew it was close. But, like, I went from – you've seen KU in just a very short amount of time go from Nevada, which is everything has to go right. And for Nevada, it did. Not only everything we talked about, but it was also – they fumbled five times and recovered every single one of them. Uh, there's some luck involved in that, that just everything bounced their way and things went wrong for KU, some of the injuries, some of the different stuff. So like you went from being that Nevada team where everything had to go right for you to have a chance, which they did, uh, and have a basically a moral victory by keeping it within seven points. So now you're the team where people are disgusted if you are not beating this team by 28 points. And uh, But you also, at the same time, your fan base – should at least have confidence that you're going to end up pulling through like they did. So I think it's interesting that Illinois almost showed, at least for that first half, kind of more of Kansas's ceiling. I think this game showed how much the floor has raised because now there's a larger uh, amount of error and margin for error than there was before. And I think it's just interesting because I think you look in the mirror and you think, I, I know that Nevada team because I've watched it for 13 or 14 years yeah, and Kansas is no longer that anymore. And I think that is a credit you know, you almost have to kind of like they're they're they just looked at what they had been for so long. And I think that should I know it was ugly, it should make you appreciate what Kansas is now because they're not that anymore. They've moved up and it's a hard trek to get up even into the middle of the pack, but Kansas is there now. And in a weird way, that ugliness and that painfulness and that late game and just everything that went into it should actually make fans feel pretty good about where things are right now. Yeah, I mean, anytime you go on the road and get a win, you should be happy with it. Obviously, you would hope that they would score, you know, they would look a little bit better, that the defense would look a little bit better. But I also saw a team that, you know, they were struggling on defense because you had guys that were playing in roles that they weren't necessarily used to playing. And that's going to happen when you have, you know, your, one of your better pass rushers in Austin Booker, um, you know, and then Kobe Bryant both out for the first half. Jeremy Robinson was still wreaking havoc. Like they were still getting in the backfield. They were still doing a lot of different things that were causing problems for Nevada. Unfortunately, Nevada, Nevada was just able to sneak out of some of the pressure sometimes. And, you know, some of those things that happened. So one, the one thing I will say that this team has struggled with and they really need to get figured out is, um, you know, containing the quarterback. Um, they've had way too many times where they bite on a fake and then the quarterback runs the other way and, Kansas gets burned for a really, really bad play. That happened actually twice against Nevada. Both of those went for touchdowns. You know, that was that 72-yard touchdown run by Luke Altmaier in, you know, for if for Illinois. So that's something that I think the defense is is definitely going to be looking at. But they're, they're a very aggressive defense, and I do think that some teams have been able to use that against them. We'll see how well they're able to shore that up. But, I mean, they have a BYU team coming up this week that they're going to have to be really good against. They're going to have to get that figured out pretty quickly. And then, of course, they go on the road to Texas. So it's going to be it's going to be some fun. It's going to be very interesting to see how they handle a lot of this stuff. But 
let me tell you. I, I will say I was I was looking into the numbers and the defense is better so far. Oh, like, yeah, at least sure. if, however however you look at it. Like they're they're giving up fewer points, you know. So at this point last year through three games they had given up 82 points combined right now they've given up 64 you know i was looking through the different game logs and you know at, at this point last year they had given up games of 365 passing yards 272 they'd given up multiple uh games of 140 rushing yards and more they've actually done a really good job of of containing these groups like they're again like even when it was ugly you know illinois how just it, it looks like it's a lot harder. I think maybe this is this is another interesting thing with this game. Uh, it looks a lot harder for even like an Illinois or whoever to get to their end results, to get yardage. Like Illinois really struggled. Meanwhile, Kansas didn't execute well, but like it was efficient. Like it was still, that, that was almost a frustrating thing with Kansas is because it didn't look like it was hard for them. It looked like they were making it hard. It was the penalties. It was the boneheaded plays, but Daniels was still 21 to 28. They were running the ball at will with, with Devin Neal. Like it just seems like that defense is making it harder on offenses than it has in recent years. Yeah, I also saw someone with the take that Daniels had, you know, struggled in this game, and I completely disagree. There was, there was, I think there was three different plays where you know a guy got tackled at the one um, that would have been a touchdown, and you know you'd be looking at Jalen Daniels throwing for three hundred yards with three touchdowns and no interceptions, and you know that's a, a phenomenal game compared to the 298 yards with zero touchdowns but zero interceptions like those three touchdowns that ended up going to runners made it make, can make a huge difference in how you perceive the way that the quarterback plays but in reality Jalen Daniels led them down for touchdowns every single one of those times it's great that Devin Neal has three touchdowns you know only only 89 yards like that's a little surprising that he didn't break 100 but you know on a night where both teams struggled to run the ball for whatever reason um, you know, that's not necessarily that concerning Kansas being held to 300 and roughly 340 yards, um, but holding Nevada to, you know, 250 yards. So it, it was a fairly good, I think, defensive game where a lot of teams made, you know, a lot of mistakes on both sides. The one thing I will say is I, I highly doubt that Kansas has another game where they force five fumbles and don't recover a single one. Like, I think that is a huge, um, I guess, swing here that really allowed this game to stay close because any normal thing, you know, if, if, if Kansas has two takeaways on fumbles out of those five fumbles, this game looks completely different, you know, cause I, I think Nevada went in and scored immediately after two of those fumbles. Like if this is a 31 10 and Kansas recovers two fumbles and you still have like the offense floundering where it does and the penalties and all that, then, you know, this is, this is, I think a, a much better game that a lot of people are, you know, come completely writing off at this point. So turnover luck is a real thing. Unfortunately, it didn't help the Jayhawks in this one. It really helped Nevada stay in this game. But, you know, I think you have to be happy anytime you can force five fumbles. Yeah. And, and those are going to even out over the course of a year. I mean, so if you're going to have one where everything goes wrong, make it the Nevada game where you can still overcome that because that's not going to happen often to your point. I will say, you know, the, what's real and what's not real in this game. I am still a little bit concerned about Kansas's offenses uh, um, tendency to put the ball on the ground. That still scares me a bit. I mean, our, you know, you've seen Neil Highshaw, Daniels, like the ball is coming out a little too frequently, even if they're not all recovered by the defense. So I think that is still a bit concerning, but you're right about Daniels. I mean, there are so many plays, the, the Fairchild one, I thought he was in, there's a couple where he was right in there. Um, and he was making good passes. And even when he didn't, he had his receivers 
kind of bail him out that Quentin Skinner catch on the on the sideline where he got both feet down and just extended used a six five frame was was an incredible one. But you're right. I mean, 298 yards and two touchdowns, even if you get two of those three, looks much different than the stat line he had now. But the the flip side of that is that Devin Neal is now, I think, tied for fourth in the country with rushing touchdowns, and he's first in the Big 12. So like he is racking up the stats. And actually, I might do a piece on him soon. He's the, – the Lawrence native is getting up there in terms of career achievements at running back for Kansas. Um, he's – Which is impressive he's already considering how, you know, how many good running backs have come through, KU. Yeah, he's already he's he's teetering at the in the top ten for yards, and he's already in the top ten in touchdowns, so um, rushing touchdowns, and and even his ability to again get in the passing game um, has been good. So yeah, Devin Neal is off to a meeting start. I mean, that fifty nine yard catch uh, in play and just his elusiveness really was a huge spark in the second half when Kansas desperately needed it. Yeah, and speaking of you know huge sparks and very impressive performances. Um, reminds me of the fantastic lineup from our sponsor here on the podcast. That would be Charlie Hustle. The Charlie Hustle Clothing Company is a vintage-inspired clothing company based here in Kansas City that cover or that has uh, all of your vintage uh, collegiate apparel needs. They they have over thirty different schools. They have a great lineup from every single one of those, and that includes all or all but one of the Big Twelve schools uh, in Cincinnati is the only one that they don't have currently. Um, but they have I just a fantastic lineup of Kansas clothing, specifically Jalen Daniels t-shirt. They've got a Beacom Hawk shirt. They've got probably about 15 or 16 different shirts that I want from Charlie Hustle um, that have some really awesome logos and sayings on them. And unfortunately, um, they're so hot that, you know, you got to go double check and make sure which ones are actually available right now because they are so popular that they are selling out really quick. So go over to charliehustle.com. Take a look at all of the fantastic clothing that they have. You can actually have them notify you when they become available. And if you use promo code 101215, that's the letters T-E-N-1215, you can get 15% off of all non-sale items for your order. And yes, that is not a first order only. That is whenever you go over there and it's an, an item that you're buying that's not on sale, use that promo code, support the network here, and also... Get, save yourself 15% on that great, fantastic clothing. So, Charlie Hustle, Vintage Made Fresh. All right. Um, I do want to go ahead and jump over and talk about the defense really quick before we go look at BYU. But before we do that, I'm going to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk podcast. And we're back. I'm here with Kyle Davis. We are recapping a less than stellar Nevada game for the Kansas Jayhawks. But they did come away with a win. The offense, obviously, up and down. And we could talk about some of the st- – uh, we, we, we could still kind of talk about some of the stuff that's happened there, but I think I want to turn my attention to the defense because, you know, uh, Kenny Logan Jr., I thought this was his first, you know, really good game, I think, of the season where you actually saw his impact in the stat line. He had, you know, he led the Jayhawks with nine tackles, including the final tackle to put the, you know, the uh, exclamation point on the end of the game and stop the final drive for Nevada. Um, he had two and a half tackles for loss, six solo tackles, didn't have a sack. You know, we only had two of those against Nevada, which I was a little surprised at. But, you know, th- I thought he had a phenomenal performance, and I thought he was really leading the defense when they needed somebody to step up big for him. Yeah, it was good to see him get in the mix a lot more. Now, it's one of those things where you are – you want to see someone like Kenny Logan get the stats that you know he can do, but also 
if you have your safeties getting a whole bunch of tackles, and that's not necessarily a great thing for your defense. So it's also a unless they're tackles he, for loss, <laughs> unless they're tackles for loss. Yes, and he did have two and a half of those. So yes, count them in. So yeah, it's just the tackles. He Craig Young. I also thought Melo Dotson did a really good job. I mean, he should have had a pick when we talked about the turnover luck. Like he had. Oh yeah right in his grasp he had another one where you know he he had a couple pass deflections and he it seemed like he was in the mix uh really well especially with um with Kobe Bryant out in the first half so I was really impressed with him the secondary overall really stepped up but yeah Kenny Logan this was kind of the first time where we've really had a chance to talk about him this year and, and the impact he's uh made which again it's 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 for the right reasons and uh you don't want yeah, you don't want your safety to be the one you're only talking about unless it's interceptions for touchdowns and sacks and that sort of thing on blitzes. But uh, he had himself a really good game. And honestly, the defense overall had a really good game. Now, there were some there were some penalties that kind of put him back and there were some weird plays. And, and you're right that it's going to be it's going to be mobile quarterbacks that hurt this defense the most. The ones that can make plays, extend plays with their feet and and kind of get out there. But the good thing is, is that that's not really the MO of a lot of big 12 quarterbacks. I mean, you'll even look at next week with, with Slovis at BYU. He's not a running quarterback. Ewers is not a running quarterback. Like there's, you know, there's, there's certain times where it's going to hurt you, but overall, I think the defense, the way it's built is is probably good for the big 12, but yeah, the secondary really, you know, Craig Young had six tackles. It was, and he had a sack in there. It was good to see him get going. And, and overall, I, I think the, um, it, it, there were much more positives than negatives on the defensive side, even giving up 24 points. Because again, it was just such a fluky, weird game. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, Kansas had a few struggles in the first half that were, uh, I mean, they had some, two very unfortunate penalties. One, a defensive holding that gave Nevada a bunch of extra yards, but they were, you know, already kind of driving there. And I don't think that that really, that, that was the, the touchdown, the field goal, you know, unfortunately, J.B. Brown had a face mask penalty on that one as well to kind of stretch that, give them another first down. Um, and and the worst part about that is, you know, Kansas came back and had a uh, forced one of the fumbles, which, you know, lost 11 yards. And uh, unfortunately, like that would have been, you know, that, that might have pushed them out of field goal range at that point if he didn't have that face mask penalty. So, you know, there was just, I think, a little bit, a few unfortunate things there. There was a an interesting de- defensive pass interference call against Melo Dotson. Um, although I think that one might've actually been good. And the other one was a little questionable, but you know, there were some, there were some penalties that led directly to scores, um, including, you know, a just boneheaded, um, you know, offside penalty on a fourth and one that allowed uh, Nevada to go ahead and get their final touchdown. I believe it was, yeah, their, their final touchdown. So there's some things to clean up. You could tell that there was a lot of, I think there was some guys that were hyped up. I think Austin Booker came out into the second half a little too hyped, just, you know, trying to make up for the fact that he wasn't available in the first half. Um, and we saw that a few times. So I expect this week to be a little bit better for them to actually kind of settle in. And, you know, I don't think you can understate just how big of an advantage it is for them to be at home compared to being on the road. This is a team that has performed consistently under Lance Leipold better at home than they have on the road by quite a bit. And so I, I'm, I'm interested to see how they react to coming back home, you know, BYU having their first ever big 12 conference game. Um, what are your, just, what are your initial thoughts about this game going into the week? BYU is an interesting one, a lot like KU and, and actually, you know, I, I think the defense is a good point too. It's interesting that, you know, you looked up it, it, 
the defense has been really good in the first half too. So the game plan is clearly working. I mean, you looked up and and uh, Brendan Lewis, Nevada's quarterback, had completed four passes for negative nine yards, and then even midway through the third quarter, he had thirteen passing yards. I mean, they they did a really good job of containing. And Nevada is not a good passing team anyway. So, and some of that was garbage. Some of it was because of penalties, keeping drives alive, and then you know you kind of get worn down. You don't know if that's the body clock going, but. It'll be interesting to see because uh, BYU is, is much more successful. BYU is kind of the antithesis of Nevada. They're much more successful through the air. Really actually haven't established much on the ground. They've had one game where they got over 100 yards on the ground, but that even was only three and a half, 3.3 yards a carry. So, like, they punch it in on the ground when they need to at the end of drives, kind of like Kansas did on Saturday. But, uh, you know, like we mentioned, Slovis is a pocket passer. He's not going to run. He is going to stay in there, and he's going to zip the ball around. And that's kind of where that's kind of where BYU's bread and butter is at. Is you know they've again they've just they've only ran for two hundred and thirty five yards in three games so far. Meanwhile, they've thrown for almost seven hundred yards. So it, you know it's going to be a passing attack. I do think it's going to help to be at home. Arkansas was really BYU's first test. Um, and, you know, it is, I, I will say that to a credit to BYU is that it's at least through three games. Again, it's a small sample size. They've been able to change their style of play and kind of win in different ways. I mean, they beat Sam Houston State 14 to nothing, which Sam Houston State has only played two games, but their defense has been very good. And then they go in and they beat BYU, or beat Arkansas 38 to 31. They get in a shootout. So it seems like they can kind of play either way. Uh, and the Arkansas one was on the road. Um, you know, I, I'm interested to see if they can't get the run established, how that secondary of like Melo Dotson and Kobe Bryant and then do against the pass. You know, I, I'm also interested because uh, it, it seems like the BYU defense is is not quite as um, as balanced. I mean, they – they gave up 177 yards to Arkansas. And I think there's a lot of similarities, as we know, between Arkansas's kind of style of the offense and KU's. And so I'd be interested to see what happens there on the road. But um, yeah, you, you know, you know what BYU is going to give you offensively. I think the other interesting thing, and we were talking about luck, BYU has forced seven turnovers so far and has only turned it over twice themselves. I'm interested to see if that uh, maintains. Now, you know, Three of those or five of those were interceptions. There was a couple of fumbles in there. I, I'm curious to see what they can do. You know, they've won the turnover battle each and every game. I'm curious to see if if the fumble luck or even just the not even luck, just the skill of the turnovers of the defense, like who can turn the other one over, who can really slow them down. Um, and it's tough to see with BYU because you're right. There's a lot against them. They're they're traveling. They're playing a a Big Twelve game for the first time. I'm sure there's a lot of of internal pride there wanting to make a good showing in in their first conference game uh but you know that kansas is going to be amped up for this and i do think ku at home especially now you know you could call nevada a trap game if you want it had kind of all the makings i don't know if we still call things trap games anymore uh but if it is they're looking ahead to this they're not you you know that KU's not gonna look ahead to texas on this one they want to win this one at home they want to get to four and and especially, you know, I think it helps that BYU won that game at Arkansas because that's going to just 
make it even more obvious that Kansas isn't going to take this one likely and they're going to be focused coming in, or at least they should. Yeah, I mean, it's two undefeated teams. Like, this has a similar feel to the TCU game from last year, other than, of course, you know, college game day is not going to be there. But, you know, you've got two teams that I think multiple people are talking about potentially overachieving or potentially being, you know, have a better record than maybe that they've played. Um, Kansas is trying to prove that they – belong in that conversation at the top of the Big 12 conference, which is something in and of itself. The fact that, you know, this is a team that right now there's only two teams. I think right now that you say for sure are better than the Jayhawks right now. And that would be Oklahoma and Texas. And that's because, you know, I think Oklahoma hasn't really played anybody, but they've looked phenomenal playing, you know, nobody's and Texas of course has beaten Alabama and had the shine taken off of that game. Thanks to Alabama's near miss against USF the next week. But you know, this is a this is a weird position, I think, for most Kansas fans to be in. Um, they are, you know, from what I understand, this expected to be a sellout with only a marginal improvement of visiting fans in terms of, you know, so there, there will be more BYU fans and there were Illinois fans in that first week. But from what I understand, it's not a, you know, a, a huge difference. So which you know, BYU travels really. Oh, well, yeah. BYU anyway. travels that's really a, that's well. That's a national fan base that is is going to go, and I think especially, I'm sure, you know, if you're joining a new conference, the benefit is you to kind of explore some of these places for the first time. So why wouldn't you? So yeah, well, it, well the funny thing too be... is that that you know the the LDS Church is is who sponsors BYU, and there are a lot of members in this area in in Kansas City because it is it's actually a a fairly big historical site for the church. And so there's a lot of members around here that are naturally BYU fans. So I know of plenty of people around here that are BYU fans that are planning on going to the game, but Kansas has already snapped up most of their, you know, season ticket allotment. They've got a ton of people that are already going, you know, single games that got it before. Um, So yes, there will be a decent BYU presence there, but there's a ton going to be a ton of Kansas fans there. I expect this game to be a sellout. I expect it to be a very raucous environment. Um, and I am looking forward to seeing how this team is able to feed off of that energy. Um, the defense, I think, is what I'm more interested in because, like you said, the BYU defense has struggled at times. And, you know, I do think that Kansas is going to um, enjoy a very successful offensive game. Uh, I do wonder about the defense. Keaton Slovis has been up and down. You talked about Sam Houston's, um, you know, defense. They they haven't really played, I think, people, though, that I would like with the other, like, they played BYU. But I, I don't know that I would look and say, hey, that's a good defense. Like, that's a good excuse for BYU only scoring 14 points at home, you know, in that first game. So there's there's room to question whether BYU offensively is going to be able to keep up with the Jayhawks. But I think there's enough there. And the win over Arkansas, regardless of what you think about Arkansas, I think it's enough to say that this game is going to be just as good, if not better, than what we were expecting coming into the year. Um, you know, I am looking forward to seeing which of these two teams is going to establish themselves as a potential contender for the big 12 title this year. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, a little strange, a little exciting to be able to talk about that as a Kansas fan this early in the season. Yeah. And, and I do think the booth is going to be rocking. Yeah, and I've seen some, some stuff about the first two games and the fact that the Illinois game wasn't a sellout and all that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I get it though. I mean, it's a, it's a, I think you have to have the caveat of it was, you know, the first two games at home were Friday night games competing against college football. You have a lot of families who either, you know, the Illinois game kicked off at 630. You know, I went to the game. I took my boys. It was hard enough. And I work from home mostly. I was, it's, it's tough enough to kind of get everybody together after school and get them down there in time. And, and there's so many other activities going on. 
Now, to your point, it's a 2.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday. I think there's just a lot more availability. You're not conflicting with Lawrence and Free State high school games. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if not only is it, is it sold out, but just it's, it's just a different type of crowd on Saturday than it was for the Illinois game, even though it was a good crowd for the Illinois game. Um, you know, I think especially, and I actually looked earlier today, it looks like there's only a couple of seats left in, in a few sections on the visitor's side that are remaining. Everything else, at least on the KU site, are offhand. Obviously, you can go on the secondary market and find them, but it, if they're saying it's close to a sellout, at least the the their site shows it. It's it's slim pickings out there, and so yeah, it should be a really good environment. And I do think, I think that fan base, I think the student section, they were great against Illinois. I think that could that could be a big um, factor in how Kansas starts the game in a similar fashion. And then I think it's funny that last year it was all about slow starts and then great second halves. Feels like so far this year Kansas has started really well, and then things have happened, and then they've kind of the game hasn't ended fast enough. I'm curious to see if that's the case, if it's a fast start and then BYU claws back and it's one of those hold on to your seat kind of thing, um, or if it's just back and forth all game, because it does seem like maybe this this year's team kind of took the opposite approach of last year. Yeah, I mean, that first game was was definitely kind of a slow start, but I think there were other other kind of factors in there. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very – Curious to see how quickly Kansas comes out of the gate. I think that we will find that out pretty quickly. So, all right, uh, we're going to end up or end on a little bit of a less positive note. Um, unfortunately, you know, Kansas basketball stuff does keep going, and um, was reported this week that Arterio Morris has been suspended from the basketball team due to a well, I should say there was a rape allegation made um, at the at the uh, residence hall. That uh, they that you know that most of the basketball team is at. There's not been an official report, you know, stating that he was the the suspect connected to it. But I think a lot of people are kind of connecting the dots and reading between the lines there. I guess you know, completely separate from the fact that more, you know, obviously the legal process has has to play out. I am not going to opine at all about guilt or innocence on here at all. But assuming that this stage, you know, that that Morris is going to be suspended for at least the four, the first chunk of the year. How big of an impact do you think it is having a guy like Morris who is no longer available for this team when, you know, I mean, they, they were pretty stacked, but I, I do think that a lot of the, a lot of the optimism was centered around what Morris is able to help this team do as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I, I definitely don't want to get into any of the <clears throat> speculations or allegations or that sort of thing, but purely from a basketball standpoint, the, the, the thing with Kansas was always, man, that that top eight is really, really good. What is there after that? And that's kind of the question here. Now, you've got, you know, the, you would have, if you play that out and that happens, Nick Timberlake's obviously the starter. And then the good thing is, is this is a theme that we've talked about so far this offseason, is that this team has a lot of pieces who are are kind of flexible and, and malleable and you can put, Johnny Furphy maybe in a couple different uh, play pieces and you can kind of move uh, your wings around and you've got good size there. But, <clears throat> you know, I think what this does is this probably puts more pressure on the young guys. This puts more pressure on Marco Jackson to be good right away and kind of serve as that secondary ball handler slash two guard type thing. I think it puts a little more pressure on Furphy 
even if he does not play the exact same position as Morris to just, you, you know, if you're moving things around and kind of looking differently, now that's just one less body that you have out there. Um, same thing with, you know, I don't think Jamari McDowell is going to have a huge freshman season in terms of like, you know, playing 20 minutes a game or anything like that. But I think, you know, this just means that what this affords you, if, if this is now your roster going forward, is now you might just need to rely a little more heavily on the young guys than you thought you were. You maybe thought you, uh, you know, could get them a little more practice and playing time in non-stressful environments and, and kind of see how they go and kind of, you know, wade them into the pool lightly. And now it might be a little more shoving into six foot waters kind of thing, um, which, you know, maybe they're ready and it's, and it's hard to see. And again, you don't want to speculate on any of this stuff. It, I, though, if you're going to make a roster change of any kind, it's better to have it from a purely basketball standpoint happen in September than happen in the end of October. They're going through boot camp right now. Um, but yeah, this is a, you know, if you're just looking at the roster as it is, it's all right, Nick Timberlake, this is now your spot to lose. El Marco, get you ready to come on and be the first first guy off the bench. Uh, you know, we no one really knows what Johnny Furphy is because we just haven't, you know, we can see, we can watch YouTube clips, but like, and it's all very impressive, but like you've not seen him in a, in a competitive environment like, like we're used to that's, you know, comparative to college basketball. So the, it just, it, it, you know, it minimizes your margin of error. You just have less guys to go with and you're just asking more now of the returning players. Yeah. I think the main thing that this does is that this is a less, a less championship ready team off the, you know, out of, out of the gate. Not saying that it changes their ceiling and makes them, you know, a worse team in general or overall and that they can't come back from it. But just that, you know, we saw them play in Puerto Rico. We saw how well the team was already gelling together. This was obviously going to change that some. And, and, you know, I know that there's a lot of people out there that want to have the discussions about, you know, this is on the coaching staff and they should have known better and all of this stuff. And there will be a time to have those discussions once all the facts are known and once this situation has been resolved. But I think it really just comes down to if you're thinking about it from a basketball standpoint, which is really, I think, the only thing to comment on right now, you're right. It's going to require a lot of these guys to step up into roles that they weren't necessarily expecting to have to step up into. But it is early enough that they should be able to find what they need. You're just going to, you know, you're going to you're going to have to find out who gets to fill those minutes as opposed to already knowing that they're going to Morris. I'm not ruling out Morris coming back because we've seen, you know, just at Kansas, we've seen plenty of times where, you know, an allegation comes in and doesn't seem like it's a big deal and it turns out to be a really big deal or an allegation comes in and it seems like it's a huge deal and it turns out that, you know, it wasn't actually the way it was represented. So, um that's part of the reason I don't want to speculate at all on this. Like I don't have enough facts to know whether he is definitely gone or if he might come back or if he's going to be suspended for half the season or whatever. Like once that comes, we will talk about that when it happens. But for now, I think it's just enough to know that he has been suspended. He is not currently practicing with the team. He is not currently with the program. He's here, you know, on campus still, but he is not um, acting as a member of the program right now because he has been suspended for these allegations. We'll have to let the process play out and then kind of update as we go. Thankfully, there is still plenty of time before the season starts, so there's plenty of time for Bill Self and company to figure out exactly how they want to handle that. Yeah, and, and again, this is from a purely basketball standpoint, um, the thing that, that Morris gave you is athleticism and speed and playing above the rim at the guard position. The good thing is, is you're not lacking that 
elsewhere. You know, this isn't a thing where like if if I'm gonna knock on wood so nothing happens, if Nick Timberlake bricked his leg during boot camp and all of a sudden what was some you know, like your your by far your best outside shooting threat is now gone for most of the year. And it's like who's going to shoot the ball now? Is Kevin McCullough gonna start being a thirty eight percent shooter? Is like Johnny Furphy gonna start draining him? Like who's he gonna be? you don't have that as much in this situation when you're talking purely skill sets because you have certain guys like Al Marco is a tall, lengthy, very athletic guard. He's just young. You've got Johnny Furphy, who is a tall, lanky, incredibly athletic guard. He's just young. Uh, you, you know, they are not complete apples and apples to the type of style that Arturio Morris plays. But I think you have, you have more guys who offer similar uh, benefits in terms of their their explosiveness and athleticism to where other things like, you know, Hunter Dickinson gets hurt. There's no other size on that team that's going to bring you 6'11", 7 foot. Like there's no Ernest Uday waiting to back up. You, you're, you're kind of one and done in that particular aspect or skill set. Same thing kind of with the shooting to an extent. So, you know, th- there's other, I think, it is a loss if he's not playing from a pure basketball standpoint. I'm not going to speculate on loss from the chemistry or personnel or whatever else standpoint, but it's it. there are bigger losses out there for Kansas that you would be more worried about because there's less um, ready, you know, complementary pieces to it. Again, with whether it's height or post play or shooting or whatever else like this, this, uh, that this role feels at least like it is easier to, you know, put a stopgap in there and kind of fill that need than it might be with some others. Yep, for sure. All right. Well, I think that's going to go ahead and do it for us today. Um, I'm sorry, just a quick update. Uh, Kansas volleyball swept the three games in the Jayhawk Classic over the weekend. Um, So they are now up to, I believe it's, uh, yeah, they are nine and one ranked number 17 in the nation. Um, Lots of really good big 12 volleyball teams. Uh, You've got BYU, Texas, uh, Houston, Iowa State, and Baylor, I believe are all, ranked with the Jayhawks as well. So, um, and they're lots, super fun to watch. Oh yeah. So if lots you can get of, out there, especially in person, go, go do that. Yeah. I still need to make it out there for a game in person. Um, I've been watching on the, on the, uh, big 12 now, but definitely want to make it out there in person. If you have the opportunity to do it, I highly recommend it. But, and the soccer team, uh, was able to come back. Like I said, in the last episode and draw with Oklahoma in their big 12 opener, they, uh, resume the big 12 schedule, uh, up against Oklahoma State coming up on Thursday. So um, going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you guys are supporting all of the Kansas programs in whatever way you possibly can. Uh, but that is going to go ahead and do it for us today. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me, and thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. Subscribe. Get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and review, five stars, nice comments, would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is. We can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast. You guys get you all the information you need in as entertaining way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 10 Podcast Network over on the Sports Social Network. Um, we cover all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. Yes, all 14 of them, including some of the new ones that are coming in as stuff crops up. Go over to 1012network.com. That's T-E-N, the number one, two, network. 
to get links to all the great shows that we have. Make sure you visit our, our Patreon and support us over there. That is patreon.com slash 1012 network. And of course our sponsors, price picks and, uh, Charlie hustle use our promo codes there to get some great deals, but that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the rock chalk podcast. Podcast Network.